happen. Yeah. I feel like that mediocre place is really the, the, the key, the sweet right. spot, you know, where exactly. you're, you're not striving too much where they want to put you in charge of things, but you're also yeah. not getting kicked out of stuff, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Stick yeah. to mediocre father. You're going to do great. Um, yeah. 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 Isn't that weird? <laughs> You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Lead Him to Life. I am delighted to have a good old friend joining me, Father Vince Fernandez. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Emily. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Okay, Father, tell us a little bit about, about you. Give us a few fun facts. Yeah, um, so Father Vince Fernandez, I've been, I'll be a priest two years tomorrow. So my, my two-year anniversary is on the Feast of Holy Roman Martyrs, uh, which is super awesome. Um, Grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm a priest here now. Um, then went to seminary right out of high school and just did eight years straight of seminary. And then yep. we met up at St. Thomas where I went to minor seminary. And then um, I went to North American College in Rome for four years. Got ordained a priest and then came back for one more year to do a specialization in spiritual theology. Um, and then now I'm at my first year in my parish and it's been awesome. Do you miss Rome? I do sometimes. I have a real kind of um, kind of love-hate relationship with Rome. And that would happen when I was there too. There'd be like, <laughs> like on the way to school, there'd be some days I'm like, man, I really love this city so much, like riding yeah. my bike. There's some days when I'm on the way to school and it's raining and I'm like, I really hate Rome. I yeah. hope I never come back ever again. Oh, but, that's uh, funny. But it's very Italian. You know, it's very kind of like, I have this like back and forth with this city. I love like all the Catholic stuff, but like the city itself, it's kind of like, oh man, here we go again, you know? Oh, it's like so loud and busy and yet at the same time i always think of rome as like the great paradox of a place because you have all of these like unbelievably holy places with strip joints across the street and in some ways it's the loudest place that i've ever been and yet i found solitude there if that makes sense so yeah because we spent what five months there together yeah studying abroad spring semester yeah I fondly remember your red pants from that semester. <laughs> do you still have your red pants? The world I needs not, to no. know. What? I, uh, it's mostly it's mostly just I'm either wearing my clerical clothes or I'm wearing sweatpants and a hoodie. Yeah. I've All right. Well, we'll um, we'll put your address in the show notes so that people can send you new red pants because okay. I feel like the world <laughs> needs them, Father. <laughs> That's the world great. Doing red pants. Okay, so Father, I I wanted to have you on. We've uh, we were having a, a random conversation what like two weeks ago, and you had last week, and you had made um, just a comment about some of the things that you're kind of seeing in the world right now. And um, I've been watching you on fa- that sounded weird, but I've been watching you <laughs> on Facebook and just some of the stuff that you're putting out into the world. I feel like is is just so needed right now, and uh, you have a really incredible gift of being able to just be a bridge for people to encounter you. You're very disarming in many ways and probably the most laid back person that I know. Um, and I'm, I, I kind of want to just have a conversation about how do we have healthy dialogue uh, in the world right now, especially in the United States where um, things are a little bit chaotic perhaps. So um, do you feel like you naturally do that or is it something that you've had to work at to be somebody that can just 
naturally connect with people, especially people that have different views than you. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I actually really have to work at it. Really? Um, that surprises me. So, cause I'm, I'm very like chill in any kind of setting, but when it comes to like controversial, controversial topics, I can be really combative and huh. really kind of, uh, antagonistic. I, I just kind of learned this about myself the last kind of two months in the sense that like, um, I'll get really into a discussion. Right. Yeah. Um, and really kind of, kind of push the point. So, I mean, a big part of it is I, I kind of lo- had to learn to be like, okay, how do I kind of keep myself in check? Right. And, and really try to really the big thing is to listen to the other person. Right. And especially when they have a completely different viewpoint or ideas than me, um, rather than like, I'm very competitive naturally too. So it's like, yeah, I need to get my point across. I need to win quote unquote, yeah. you know, win the debate. Um, so it is, it is something I have to work on still do. Right. I, you know, I'm still kind of, kind of fighting that battle. Yeah. Well, and, and finding that balance, how do you find that balance between I need to listen, but I also don't want to get kind of run over if that makes sense. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Right. Yeah. Well, for me, I I think the first thing I always try to do, if I'm like in a right headspace and you know, I'm I'm doing everything correct. It's, it's what is this other person's position and how do I understand it completely? Right. Yeah. And it could be anything. It could be someone who's like, you know, the Catholic church is a terrible place and priests are all terrible people. And you're probably going to hurt somebody when you're older priest or something, you know? And I'm Mm. like, okay, instead of like, here's this, all this like negative attack. And the reaction is like, you know, I just need to fight back right? I need to defend myself. Actually, let me just kind of listen to kind of where this is coming from, you know, because you know, in conversations often, um, you're always thinking about the next thing you're going to say, right? Like someone says something, and you kind of zone out and you're like, okay, how do I articulate this in my head rather than like actively listening to somebody and see, mm-hmm. okay, what can I actually kind of get out of this? Right. Or what can I, you know, what is this person actually saying? Um, Cause the big thing, I think a lot of times people just, just want to be heard. Right. That's, I mean, that's what they tell us in, in pastoral counseling is people just want to be heard. It's not so much they want you to, to solve their problems or anything, but um, and that's why people, you know, kind of raise their voice and get angry and, you know, Riding all caps or whatever. Why are they raising their voice and yelling? Because they don't feel like they're heard, right? Yeah. So any kind of difficult, difficult conversation, uh, the biggest thing is is to hear the other person, right, or mm-hmm. allow that person to to be heard. Do you find it difficult to love people in that instance? People that view the world differently than you do. Um, that's a good question. I think sometimes it is, but you know, it's, I always go back to the fact that you know this person is created in the image and likeness of God. Right. And they have the same dignity as me. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's such a basic truth, right. In our Catholic faith to kind of remember like this person, like Jesus died for this person too, right. All their sins and everything like Jesus loves them as much as he loves me. Um, but it's so easy to forget. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so easy to kind of demonize the other person and be like, this is my enemy, right? And this is the person right. I need to like fight against, but then to remember, okay, you know, what are we, what is the point of this? conversation right is it is it to get the w right is it to win or is it so that both of us can kind of grow in relationship right and grow towards truth yeah um so every once in a while i kind of have to you know especially if it's a really kind of difficult conversation which i've had like the last three four weeks just kind of a plethora of like really hard talks right i have to like take a step back when i feel myself getting angry or upset i'm like okay jesus died for this person i have to remember that God loves yeah. this person too. And I'm able to yeah. kind of, you know, keep myself in check that way. 
Do you think that means that you have to like them? Um, not necessarily. <laughs> there was a great line at, at St. John Vianney, the seminary at St. Thomas, and we'd always say that um, you have to be brothers, but you don't have to be friends. Mm. Um, and so to, to still love somebody, right? And you don't have to like, I mean, we don't have to hang out and play disc golf or whatever, but for me to, to still love them, right? Yeah. Um, is kind of key there. So yeah. that, that's what I kind of remember too. It's like, okay, we don't have to be friends, but we have to be brothers. Yeah. Well, that's a fun, it's a funny question, but I think it's a very real thing. And, and that's actually a profound way of stating it. Yeah. You don't, you have to be brothers, but you don't necessarily have to be friends. And the distinction between the two, I think sometimes in, uh, in my world, I tend to think like, I just want to have everybody get along and, and us to be great friends and to really like each other or whatever, even in my own family sometimes. Right. And it's like, that's not necessarily the goal. That's not necessarily the the bar that needs to be set, the bar that, that you're setting in brotherhood or the bar that you're setting in what it means to really love somebody is actually a higher bar than even like, uh, uh, yeah, we want to play disc golf or whatever the example was that you used. I think that's actually a really, um, a really good distinction. Um, you made a comment about somebody typing in all caps. Right. And, and I immediately my mind went to Facebook because mm-hmm. I think I have really, um, it's been very interesting actually to me to kind of watch dialogue or perhaps lack thereof dialogue happening on that, um, on that platform in the last couple of months. If you were to describe, to kind of take a step back, I would love to know from your perspective, how would you describe kind of the tenor of dialogue in the United States right now? What would you call um, it? Yeah, I would say there's a real, real lack of dialogue, obviously, right? <laughs> Non-dialogue, yeah. Non-dialogue, yeah. Because yeah. no one's really, kind of going back to what I said earlier, no one's really listening to each other, right? Um, I kind of realize, kind of on whatever platform or ideology you're on, it's, it's a lot of assertions and assumptions, right? What do you mean by so, that? So a lot of people... And you'll see this mostly on social media, right? And it's, it's, I would say social media is probably the worst platform to try to have a dialogue ever, yeah. right? I, I think I'd rather prefer like yelling across a river than like on the internet or something, right? I'd rather yell across a river. That's so real. Yeah. Um, but so a lot of people and, um, and this is once again, like liberal, conservative, whatever, will make a lot of assertions and be like, X is true, or I know this for a fact, right? Um, and at the same time, they'll make a lot of assumptions about the other side. Like, well, I know exactly what you know, you're saying. I know exactly what that other side thinks or whatever. I had, I had a conversation with a, with a man the other day, um, really good, great guy, very like well-learned and, you know, reads a lot of books and all that stuff. But, um, he had an issue with me in one of my homilies cause I talked about how, um, to be pro-life means to also care about poverty and racism and injustice, right? Not only just abortion, right? Which is the number one fight of the Catholic faith, obviously. Um, but, but to also care about these other kind of social issues, you know, and he came to me and he was like, yeah, I don't agree with you. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a, a good point to make. And I was, I was, it's kind of weird. I was, I was kind of excited. Cause like, Oh, here's someone I can have like a dialogue with, you know, we can kind of go back and forth with our points and see where we get. So he came in and he just kind of read like, here's what I think. And I was like, okay, well, you know, well, they're both kind of a front to human dignity. So that's why I think they kind of fall in the same category. And maybe abortion is like a tier one issue we have to deal with. And then racism and everything else is a tier two or something like that. 
And the guy just kind of repeated his position again. And I just remember being really disappointed because he was someone who I really respected just making assertions, right? He wasn't able to have a dialogue. And, that, and I tried to kind of dig deeper a little bit and, and tried to kind of pull something out of, that was in the form of some kind of argument or evidence, but it, it was just kind of, no, I just think you shouldn't do it. And I was like, man, okay, like this is, this is a lot harder than it's going to be, I think, you know, and trying to kind of have this, this conversation. Because it was, for him, it was just like, I think for him, he kind of came in, his goal was to change my mind, right? And my goal was, okay, what does this guy have to say? Maybe this is something I need to take into account, right? Maybe I'm wrong here and putting mm-hmm. these in the same category of pro-life things. Um, but we came in with kind of different ideas of how this discussion was going to go. And I just remember being really kind of, kind of disappointed, I guess, you know, yeah. like I, I thought that um, we'd be able to have this kind of conversation, but it didn't really happen. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate how somebody that has convictions um, about, about their belief or, or whatever it might be. And I think that's actually like, we need, the world needs passionate people. I think passionate people make right. the world go around. Yeah. One of the things that I struggle with though, is what's that balance between really honoring our convictions and, um, you know, what we know to be true, but also continuing to be in the pursuit of truth and continuing to, um, be open in some regard. And I would love to know just how you have kind of approached this. And do you have an example of maybe a time where, um, you felt like you were not rooted in truth and led astray. Cause that's, that's the challenge, right? Is like, we mm-hmm. come to an argument or we come to whether it's political or religious or with my husband, whatever. And we have this, like, I think that the dishwasher should be loaded this way. I have zero strong feelings about the dishwasher, <laughs> by the way, but I think it should be loaded this way. I'm convinced and really confident that this is true because it's going to get the best wash, but I want to be open Matt mm-hmm. to your opinion. So you know what I mean? So like, how do you find that balance? Because I've watched a lot of people, especially, um, like I think, uh, young people going into college is a really good example of like, how did you end up being like a new age? The aliens (laughs) are coming of belief, you know, like, because you, they were led astray from what's actually true. How do you find that balance? Right. Yeah. I think, um, well, I think one thing is to kind of recognize that there are, there's, you have to choose like what hills you die on, right? Yeah. In terms of, um, you know, is this, so is like the dishwasher a, a fight that's worth dying on, even though you think it's, you're like so convinced this is the right way to do it or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of kind of relationship and, and, and dialogue, right? Um, I think in the Catholic faith, we're kind of blessed to have, you know, the authority of the church, right? To tell us like, okay, here is what's true and what's not true, right? And there's kind of a definite kind of hierarchy of truths um, that we kind of ha- have to hang on to. Um, and to recognize too, like within the, within the Catholic faith, like everything's connected, right? From the incarnation to not me- eating meat on Fridays or something, right? There's this great kind of uh, consistency there. Um, so I think one thing is, is kind of recognizing ourselves and maybe to do that like during prayer, like, okay, what are, what are the truths that are really foundational, right? That, that I in a sense, can't compromise on. Um, and your example of like, you know, kids coming to college is really good because, you know, a lot, not a lot of people have done that, right? And be like, okay, what am I, what is true in my life, right? What I know that's kind of, um, you know, I can't compromise on. Um, but I think that, you know, the idea of, of being open 
it depends on what you mean, right? So there's there's a sense of being open and, and willing to listen to the other side and what they have to say. Um, and there's a willing to be open that to have your mind changed, right? To go through some kind of um, metanoia in a way, right? A changing of your mind. Um, and that and the first part to just listen, to be open that way, like we should all do that all the time, right? Just to be able to listen to the other side. Um, to have our minds change, it, it just depends, right? It takes discernment and prayer to recognize, okay, like I'm being presented with this thing that seems contrary to what I've believed in the past. Um, do I change my mind to this, right? Or do I kind of accept this, this thing that even though it feels very true to me, like I remember in seminary, kind of big thing for, for young seminarians is, is like the extraordinary four mass, right? Like the Latin mass, right? And so like come from Oklahoma, we didn't really have that. So I go up to school in both of my seminaries and, you know, there's guys who are saying like, this is the only way to worship really, you know, and everything else is, is kind of so far. Right. And I just remember myself going through a, a phase of like, Oh my gosh, like are these guys, right. Was everything in Vatican II just like wrong. And hmm. you know, the way that they do mass in my home parish in Tulsa is like flawed and stuff. And so I, I think big, a big part of it is, is to go through that crucible. Right. Um, Cause we rarely want to go through that difficulty and, and kind of come out the other side. But for me, I remember having to do research and talking to different priests and things like that. And, and finally making an, an informed decision about it, right. And recognizing, okay, no, the Novus Ordo and mass in English is still very valid and true. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with those issues that are a little more kind of unclear, right. Like does racism exist in America, right. There's people like all over the spectrum on that. Right. Yeah. Um, but the big thing is to be able to, to kind of go, through that in Go a sense, the right? Hmm. right. And just kind of, okay, what do I need to read? What do I, who do I need to listen to um, of the other side that I have to take into account? What is, you know, what is true in this really? Right. And it, it's hard work. Um, but it beats just being lying on our assertions and assumptions, right. It, in terms of that kind of real pursuit of truth. Yeah. So you, I, let's, let's, Using the example of is there racism in America for you going through that crucible, you said reading things kind of from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, what were other things that have been important for you and kind of landing? And I'm not going to ask you where you've landed on on the topic because I want listeners like to do the work. Right. But um, but I'm curious, just what was that process of like being maybe stretched outside of your own presumptions or were there times where you all were also affirmed in kind of what you've believed or held to be true? Right. I, I mean, a big thing was, especially with this issue was, which is what is the data, you know? Cause once yeah. again, people just make these points of like, here's what's going on to, you know, black Americans, which here's how, was, how the police is treating, you know, black Americans and things like that. And so to be able to kind of look back and like, okay, what is, what does the data actually say? Right. And to, to have to kind of dig, Right. And go through not just like the front page article with the one headline, but to be like, okay, let me click this little hyperlink to this graph. That's kind of hard to read, but then I have to read it. Right. Um, And to look up, you know, like for me, I read a bunch of books on that were so contrary to the Catholic faith in a way. Right. Um, That were really kind of hard to read. Um, But out of that, there were kind of nuggets of truth that I kind of came to accept and helped me kind of understand, you know, where these people are coming from and things like that. Um, I mean, I remember one book that I read, I probably, it was like an 80, 20 split, 
80% I did not agree with 20% really? was, was something I could work with, right. That I learned like, okay, that makes sense in terms of my understanding of racism in America and you know, what that looks like, or does it exist? Things like that. Um, you know, to be able to kind of take that. And there's this great line by kind of in context of by St. Augustine about, um, you know, we can't despoil the Egyptians, right? What does that mean? So that means when the Israelites, when they were leaving Egypt, right, in the Exodus, um, they took all the gold with them from the Egyptians, right? What the Egyptians would use to worship, they were able to in turn use uh, for themselves, right? And the same thing, kind of the same concept kind of with kind of people on the other side of us, right? That these people, maybe we disagree completely, maybe, you know, they're... <laughs> their kind of first principles are so far beyond, there's still probably nuggets of truth in there, right? Aristotle talks about how we're like in an ocean of truth. And the hard part is trying to find like what is actually true. It's just, it's just overwhelming in a sense. But to, I think a big lesson I learned was to look at the other side and be like, okay, there's something here that I can still learn, right? That I can, even if it's just understanding their point of view, um, not to kind of write them off completely. Cause I think that's a big temptation. Like, oh, that person's, liberal and therefore everything they say is going to be wrong or that person's conservative and everything they're they're going to say is going to be wrong no there's probably still kind of truth in there you really have to look for it though right sometimes and um and kind of have that kind of openness to to you know what is what is the egyptian gold i can get out of this mm-hmm. i love that you use the example of finding the graph and just kind of looking beyond because I think one of the challenges that I have found is a lot of us are really eager to share a post or a, an article or whatever. And those things can be really good, but it's a lot harder to get off of Instagram or off of Facebook and look in books and look at people that have written, you know, substantial content, um, on some of these matters. And, and I just have been really moved by your willingness to go there and to not be afraid to go there as well, because I think it's a little bit difficult. Like, am I going to, you know, get lost or, um, end up reading this book and that 80% that was totally crap. Am I going to start to think that that's true, that we're really aliens or whatever, you know? Okay. Um, cause our minds are kind of a dangerous place to go in alone. So mm-hmm. what's been, what's been the role of even having other people surrounding you in that process of learning more, um, to kind of help you like debate some of these things with yourself, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I, like for me, I have a lot of really good priest friends and we're all kind of, you know, educated in the same way. So I'll take, you know, something that I find that's kind of difficult and I'll bring, I'll bring it to them, you know, and these are guys I, I trust and, you know, are well-formed and things like that. Um, but even with them, just really intense conversations, right? Yeah. Like I had, a, I remember me and a priest friend, we were out to dinner at this, this kind of Asian restaurant and he somehow I just like commandeered the conversation to talk about racism. So I felt that there was three of us and the other priest was just kind of like sitting there and I was like, Oh man, I totally just like took over this whole thing. But me and this other priest, even though we're like really good friends had this really heated almost debate on Mm. things going on. And there's a few times where I had to be like, okay, like I'm getting really emotional. You're getting really emotional. We had to like take a break and, kind of recognize okay what's happening here you know take a breather Uh, right exactly so but it's I think it's I think part of it is you kind of mentioned just kind of a a fear right of 
okay, if I bring this up to this person or try to have this conversation, I'm going to lose them or they're going to be really mad at me or whatever. Um, and once again, it depends on the context of your relationship, right? Like my priest brothers, I know I can push them to the limits, right? That's, sure. that's pretty easy to do versus like, you know, one of my parishioners, right? I can't, I can't like, you know, back them into a corner with an argument, right? That's, that would not be a good, yeah. good look at all. But yeah. my priest brothers, I can, you know, I can like go to town, right? And really kind of push a point there. You had used this phrase in a previous conversation about the art of dialectic. Can you talk a little bit about what you meant by that? Because I think like you're you talking with this priest friend at dinner um, is maybe a good example of trying to do that, struggling to do that. What what do you mean by that? What's yeah, the art so, of dialectic? So dialectic goes back to kind of the Greek philosophers, like the classic ones, Plato, Socrates. And it's a process related to a dialogue, right? So really just, just a conversation. It's an exchange of opinions and positions and counterpositions and arguments and counterarguments. Um, but its end goal at the end of the day is truth, right? Mm. Um, so between you and this other person or this group of people, our greatest desire in this conversation is truth. Um, what is actually true here? And that's a question I, you know, I ask myself all the time, right? You know, what is, what is actually true here? Not in like a really suspicious of everything kind of way, but just in a way that's um, wanting to find, you know, the exact truth of the, the Lord wants us to give. Right. Um, and it's different from kind of a debate. Right. Um, Cause in debate, there's, there's often a winner. Right. And you want to like, you know, try to get a, get the W there. Right. And, yep. and be the one who proves the other one wrong. Um, but really in, in, in a dialectic, it's okay. What's all the different arguments we can look at? And what can we say about them and make distinctions and then ultimately get to some kind of conclusion, right? Um, you know, if you look at like Socrates and Plato, you know, Socrates would just go around kind of asking people questions, right? And, and really kind of digging into their arguments, never in a really antagonistic way, but just to kind of get them to a point. And then eventually he would get them to, you know, contradict themselves a little bit and be like, oh, okay, so maybe this isn't actually true, right? Mm. Um, you know, we see that in Plato and they would see it in Aristotle as well. Right. Um, and then all the way up to Aquinas and, you know, the way he writes the Summa, right. There's, you have the question, you have all these objections. Um, and then he has kind of a response to that and then a response to those objections. And so I, I think part of it is, is just to look at, okay, what is all the evidence here, right? How can we, um, you know, find the truth by kind of looking at everything or trying mm -hmm. our best to look at everything. Um, and yeah. I think a big part of dialectic is, you know, there should not be, a lot of emotion involved, right? Um, Which is very hard. It's so hard. It's yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not a very emotional person. My, my I know that's about you. Yeah. Yeah. He's he always jokes about that. I'm, so I'm just like emotional <laughs> cripple, right? That I, you know, I'm, I'm um, an emotional cripple. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I wear that as a badge of honor. But a lot of times, people will argue emotions, right, rather yeah. than ideas. Like I feel very strongly about this, therefore. Um, this is right. Right. Yeah. And the, you know, this great desire of who is right and who is wrong, um, which is tough, right. To be able to kind of, okay, how do I divorce my emotion from this debate? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't cloud my understanding of truth. Um, cause I think once again, another big issue is it comes back to identity, right. That people's ideas become synonymous with their identity. Um, and so 
you know, when I, when you attack someone's idea, why do people get really defensive? Well, cause they feel like they're also being attacked, wow. right? They go into kind of a, a fight or flight mode, right? Like, I mean, animals, human beings, like we're, we're kind of made for, you know, that fight, right? That's built in us that adrenaline yeah. kicking up and, you know, yeah. in ancient times it was a physical fight, but now it's kind of this intellectual fight, right? Yeah. And it still kind of flares up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's such a big um, block to dialogue, right? Because if you feel like you have to like defend yourself all the time, um, that's going to be really hard to, you know, have a conversation because you're always kind of, you know, you have your shields up, right? Essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. the big thing is, is for people to, in, in myself included, just to, okay, how do I kind of divorce myself from, from my the emotions I'm feeling, right? And it's still, I have to like really catch, I remember I had a conversation the other night um, about just a little topic, right? And I felt myself getting heated, right? I felt my like muscles, like tensing uh, clenching up, up heart right? Yeah. And, yeah. And I was like, okay, Vince, just calm down. This like doesn't matter, really. Wow. Yeah. Right? And just be able to kind of, okay, what is my friend saying? Um, cause I felt like I was being attacked, right? You know, that wow. phrase, like I feel personally attacked right now that people yeah. say yeah. all the time. It, it's yeah. so true because people yeah. feel personally attacked all the time. Wow. That's, I'm like the connection of, the identity piece is kind of blowing my mind. I don't know that I've honestly ever thought about it in that way. And it's probably why when, um, when I hear like radical feminists Mm -hmm. kind of stating their views in the world, right. There's a real response in me where I would say, I feel like I love an authentic femininity. Mm -hmm. Um, I get defensive and I, and I get mad or it's like, how could they say that or whatever it might be. And it is, it's because what we value, typically we connect to our identity. So like me as a woman, I desire to be authentically feminine. And so when somebody challenges the idea of what it means to be authentically feminine, I feel like they're challenging probably who Emily Leadham is. I've never Mm -hmm. thought about it in that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so hard to kind of separate that. Right. Because to go back, like what is your identity? It's a son or daughter of God. Right. And everything else is secondary to that. Mm. Uh, but it's so hard because we get so kind of wrapped up in it, right? Yeah. So what are some like general principles that you might offer? You've, you've kind of stated some of them already, I think by taking a step back or recognizing mm-hmm. when you feel elevated. Um, what other tips would you offer for being skilled in dialectic, in, in that ability to... Uh, pursue truth and question opinions, uh, in conversation. Right. I think one is maybe like familiarize yourself with kind of the classic philosophical fallacies. Right. And so those, okay. Well, for somebody that tried to not read anything in my philosophy (laughs) classes, tell me what you mean by that. So in terms of, do you remember I skipped ninety nine percent of my philosophy classes when we were in Rome? I definitely remember that. Me and Sarah and Anna. Anna. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You guys were just. I was like, yeah, you guys be down. It'd be like nine o'clock, and I was like, don't you have guys have class? And you're like, yeah, we we just need to go. We're just gonna eat cereal all day and just hang out here. I was like, oh, okay, all right, that's fine. I think Um, you actually did some of our philosophy homework, so I'm very (laughs) grateful for you helping me to pass my exam. Continue. Yeah. um, So fallacy. Um, it's kind of a, it's a really a mistake in, in argument, right? It, it doesn't yep. have only any kind of bearing on argument. It's, it's a real lack of evidence, right? It's just kind of a really, it's, it's kind of a sucker punch in a way, right? Okay. So if you, you've imagined and really shouldn't be a fight, but if you imagine 
you know, a, a conversation. This is kind of back and forth, right? It's kind of this low blow that you kind of throw in there. So like um, so 99% some, of what's on Twitter. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <They> got it. <laughs> so like a big one, like the ad hominem attack, right. Against the person. Right. Mm. So saying that, you know, you make a statement and someone says, well, you're a Catholic priest, therefore your argument is invalid. Yeah. Right. So that, that, that whole thing, right. Does that help? No. But then it's so easy to fall into that. Right. Yep. Um, another big one is, is what they call the, the straw man fallacy. Right. So, you know, man made out of straw. Uh, it's when you take someone's argument or point and just really distort it, right, mm. to something that they're really not saying, but then you attack that point instead, right? So, I mean, I've, you know, conversations about, um, for example, abortion, right? I'll say, you know, this is what the church teaches about abortion. And the other person would be like, well, you must hate women then. Yeah. That's why you, you're against abortion. I was like, yeah. I did not say that. And you really just kind of extrapolated that from, um, you know, yep. my, my yep. argument, which is yep. not not the case at all. So this is like 99% of what I'm seeing on social media. Right. I mean, you're literally right. describing the fallacies. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, once again, the biggest thing is, is, is just to really hear the other person. Like, yeah. what are they actually saying? Um, I went to, I was at this patio, like post COVID opening with a friend of mine who is very, very, very conservative, like MAGA hat wearing pro Trump guy. Okay. And then another friend of mine who brought her roommate along, who was like very, very, very liberal. Ooh, fascinating. Um, so it was, I was, and I'm like right in the middle of them. And um, I go up to like get a drink. I come back. I miss like, not even kidding. I miss like two or three minutes of conversation. Apparently the really liberal girl just called the really conservative guy a racist. Oh no. According to the conservative guy and the really liberal girl says, no, I didn't say that. So really the whole time I'm kind of observing this and they're honestly just talking past each other. Not hearing. Right. There's, there's an inability to kind of hear the other person. Um, and I, I mean, it just kind of like blew my mind. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, does anyone actually see this? Like they, you know, they, this person's saying one thing, but this person's yeah. hearing a different thing. And yeah. Um, but it was just mind blowing. But I was like, this is, this is what I see on my Facebook feed all the time. Right. And that, that comment section, right. This, you know, people making these comments and they're really not talking to each other. They're just kind of going back and forth um, versus, you know, I, I talked to that really, that one li really liberal girl. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And she, she was super fascinating. She talked about how she's Hindu, but she doesn't really believe in gods. They're more, she's more like the vibe of Hinduism. Right. Mm -hmm. So the gods are like these, these examples and stuff. And I, I just remember um, really trying to listen to her. Right. And so we had a conversation about sin. She goes, I, I don't believe in sin. I don't think it's a real thing. And I was like, well, you believe in like good and evil, right? You know, not in like a accusatory way. I'm just like, yeah. okay, what about like good and evil? And she's like, yeah, I believe in that. And I was like, okay, what about like people do good and evil, right? That's what I would call sin. sin she's yeah. like, yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, well, then who determines good and evil, right? What is that? Where does that come from? And she was kind of, she was kind of stuck. She was like, I don't know. I have to think about that. You know, huh. even though she professes in not believing in God. Um, yeah. but the best part of that story is a few weeks later, I saw our mutual friend, that roommate. Right. And I asked her how, how her other roommate was doing. She was like, yeah, she's doing all right. After that, you know, really blow up conversation with a really conservative thing guy. And, and the, and the girl goes, yeah, she, when she was talking to you, she felt really loved by you. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh, that I just, my heart just like grew like three times, you know, yeah. after hearing that. But I was yeah. like, that's, that's it. That's yeah. dialogue, right? That's yeah. the dialectic that. I was able to have a conversation, right? That I, you know, it wasn't this 
kind of fight back and forth, but she felt really loved by me and we were pursuing truth together. Right. Mm. Um, so I was like, okay, now I have kind of a, um, archetype of what yeah. it should look like. Right. Yeah. And man, that's it, isn't it? Like yeah. there's, there's this quote from mother Teresa that I think about all the time, something to the effect of nobody should ever leave you, um, like worse off or something like that, or people should always leave an encounter with you better, more full, more joyful, uh, that kind of thing. It's a total butcher. I'll see if I can find the quote and I'll put it in the show notes. But, but I've just thought about that so often in the, the dialogues or the lack of dialogues, as you called it earlier, the lack of dialogue is, are people leaving me? Are people leaving this thread? Are people leaving this conversation better off, closer to truth, feeling more loved? And that might not mean that it was like a a sunshiny rainbow conversation by any means, but are they, are they drawn at least closer to truth? And that's such a beautiful example of her saying, man, I felt really loved by him. I felt really loved by this priest that I have really no, like not much in common with in terms of our views of the world and that kind of thing. But I felt loved and that actually created a bridge for me to better encounter truth, a truth that you're really convicted about that God is real and that we can have a relationship with him and we can harm that relationship with him kind of thing. I just think that's, that's so good and, and needed. Um, and if I see one more person that says, if you don't believe this, then you can go ahead and unfriend me now. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not a bridge. That's not, right. a, that's not like an encounter with love, you know? Um, so, so I think to, yeah, that's just a, that's a really beautiful example. Yeah. What's the role of rhetoric in all of this? Um, so rhetoric really, at least I would say is, is kind of pers- persuasive language, right? And yeah. And trying to be convincing in that way. And I think it has kind of a big role, right? Like, here is your idea, here's your position, and you really want uh, the person to understand it and to know it as well. So to be persuasive in that sense, because um, here's what, you know, here's what I'm bringing to yeah. the conversation. Um, and to be able to be articulate about it and to be able to present it in the best light um, has a great role in that, right? And there's, I mean, there's kind of a, you know, negative idea of rhetoric that, um, you know, I'm just using kind of fancy words to, and yeah. I have no real argument here or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's right? kind of like the classic criticism of politicians. Right. Almost right, like, right. oh, it's yeah, just a yeah. bunch of rhetoric or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, um, but to be kind of well-informed about what you have to say, right. To be skilled um, in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, especially with, you know, with like racism and stuff, I remember having a conversation with a friend about, it's like all of them doing the last month is like talking about yeah. Really controversial issues. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you're in a unique position to have those conversations being Filipino? I think so. You think so, that yeah. makes a difference? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's super interesting. It's, that's one thing I've been kind of thinking about too, is like, what is, where are Asian Americans in this whole kind of debate this on, conversation. on racism and stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But, um, but yeah, just to be able to bring like research into a conversation be like, Hey, here's the number of whatever the past year, or here's the percentage of this happening. Right. Yeah. Um, not to, once again, not because I'm like, okay, here's some ammo that I can throw at this guy and yeah. defeat him. Uh, but more like, okay, here's some facts that I found that make a lot of sense and are re- well-researched. And here's yeah. what I'm bringing to the conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So to come prepared in that way and then right, be able yeah. to skillfully like pursue right. truth in it and to be able to have the conversation. 
Oh right, man, yeah. man, father, I could talk to you about all these things for hours. Um, but the last question I have for you, this is a question I ask all of, um, the guests that come on lead them to life. I think it's really, it's actually most pertinent perhaps in this, um, episode. What's a question that you've been pondering? And really mm. the heart of this for me is this desire to kind of pursue truth. And right. uh, I think in asking ourselves questions or asking questions of the world around us, we just learn so much more about who we are and about where we fall in the world. Uh, and really it's at the heart of like pursuing, yeah, this, this dialectic that we're talking about. So I want to know, is there a question that you have been pondering recently? You can't answer your own question. Uh, it has right. to be left something that we can wonder about with you. But is there a question you've been thinking about? Right. Um, I think a big question for me that it's been like the topic of my holy hour the last month is um, with everything going on in the world right now, right? Yeah. A Catholic priest is very much in a unique position to speak truth, right? We have a captive yeah. audience every Sunday and, you know, people hear me speak all the time, right? And, you know, things like that. And so my, my big question is just asking the Lord, like, what is, what is my role in this, right? Mm -hmm. What, you know, what is my my place in your plan and all these things, right? Am I, you know, supposed to speak to my whole parish about this, you know, or these issues going on, or am I just supposed to speak to one or two people? And what is the context of that conversation and things like that, right? And yeah. um, so that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of like, that's a perennial question, right? Like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah, what's my role? Uh, what do you want me to do? Yeah, but, mm. um, but with everything going on, it's like, okay, Lord, you know, you put me here, you put me at this parish, you put me in, this unique position, you know, what, what good do you want to bring out of this, right? Mm -hmm. Using me as an instrument and to be open to that, right? Not to kind of get in my own, in, in God's way. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it's so easy to, you know, be very passionate about something and pursue it in a certain direction and then recognize later, like, Oh, that was not God's will. Right. Mm -hmm. That he didn't really want me to, even though I felt very strongly about this or whatever, you know, yeah. to follow, you know, where is the Lord leading me in all this to, to really bring out the good, right? What, you know, maybe it's just one person I need to talk to, to have a good dialogue with, yeah. um, but whatever it is to, to be like, okay, Lord, lead me wherever you want me to go. Let me find it. Yeah. That's a great question to be pondering and a great challenge. I think for all of us too. To, to be invited into that same same question, that same discernment process. Father, this was awesome. Thank you so much for just sharing you, your Lord. insights and uh, your chill, layback personality with us. It's just, it's a huge gift. Um, hey, are you recording your homilies? Can people go back and find um, stuff from you? I know, you I know you've posted one or two on, right, on yeah. Facebook. My, uh, my parish website usually just puts them up every Sunday. Okay. okay. So they can find them there. Okay. Marys.com. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Perfect. I'll definitely link that in the show notes um, so that you can go and hear more from Father Vince, friends, Father Vince Fernandez. Thank you so much for joining you, us. And, and hey, friends, share this episode with, with somebody that you think would benefit from it. Um, my hope is in my little sphere of influence, my little corner of the world, that we can make Facebook a little less scary these days. Amen. So <laughs> enjoy the pursuit of truth and the great conversations to come. We'll see you next time.